Hey, it's Rochelle, and you're listening to Clumsy Theosis, a production of Catholic Answers. Welcome to the place to transform the world by transforming yourself. Hey, so have you ever experienced a situation where a thought crossed your mind and you mention it to Jesus in passing, but then all of a sudden, bam, it's like now you have a new gift from the Lord on your doorstep and you're like, whoa, 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 Jesus, that was just a passing random thought. Are you sure about this? Yeah, that happened to me. And now you're listening to the new Sunday school teacher at my parish for third and fourth graders. Eek! But anyways, a few days after I formally agreed to teach, the reality of how little experience I actually have with children came crashing down on me. And I turned to Jesus, no lie, and I was like, what were you thinking? Like, I've never taught children before, and I've never really had children in my life on a regular basis, and I've never even really babysat. What am I supposed to do? And then after I finished telling Jesus what was what, you know, because I know so much better than he does, right? He reminded me of the kerygma. The kerygma is a Greek word, right? It sounds Greek. It's a Greek word that means to preach. And in Christianity, it refers to preaching the good news. Now, the apostles were all about the kerygma and the sacraments, of course, right? Because you can't really have one without the other. But we'll get back to that a little bit later. But what exactly is the kerygma? And what does it look like? And how are we supposed to preach it? Most people don't really know, or they might have an idea and aren't 100% sure. But it really is very important that we all know what it is because it will help us when we are teaching and explaining the faith, but then it will also help us to grow deeper into our relationship with the Lord. So the kerygma, it's one message. It's the most important message, but it's in four parts. So here are the four parts. The first is that God created man out of love to be with him. The second part, humanity destroyed the relationship that they had with the Father through sin. Just read the Old Testament. That's all it is. You know, God and man having a stable relationship, man destroys that relationship. God the Father comes back and says, all right, let's try this again. But then it happens over and over. Third part of the kerygma is that the Father sent the Son to reconcile humanity to himself, right? After everything that went down in the Old Testament era, the Father was like, all right, here is my fix-all solution, right? I'm going to send Jesus. The fourth part and final part of the kerygma is that Jesus opens the way for man to be able to partake in the divine life of God through baptism and participation in Christ's mystical body, right? So not only does God want to renew his relationship with man, but he wants us to be able to partake in his divine life. That's amazing. Now, whenever we are explaining and teaching the faith, The kerygma should always be the reference point, right? And a visual to help me with this is like a wagon wheel, like an old school wooden wagon wheel. And the center or the hub of that wagon wheel is the kerygma. And the spokes, you know, that all meet up at that hub, those are the doctrines of the church. You know, that's what we believe and that's what we teach. 
And when we explain the faith in a way where we're teaching the doctrines and we're bringing everything back to the kerygma or we're starting with the kerygma, when we do that, we're doing something called kerygmatic catechesis. I know that sounds pretty like highfalutin and all that, right? Kerygmatic catechesis. But really, it's not too complicated, right? I just told you what the four parts of the kerygma are. And you just have to make sure that everything that you explain and teach about the faith come from that and always lead back to that, right? So we're teaching the faith centered around the kerygma. And all teaching should be done this way because when we do this, we're now able to carry forth the good news in a way that can penetrate the heart and renew a person's relationship with Jesus. Now, even though it's super important, it should never be the only thing taught or explained. You know, like the wagon wheel, the spokes and the hub, they're both kind of necessary in order to have a wagon wheel, right? And if you like cooking, think of it as like a secret ingredient, like you have to have the rest of the recipe or else it's just a single ingredient. Or you can't have the recipe without the secret ingredient because it's never as good. We run into problems when A, the kerygma is the only thing taught, or B, the only doctrines, or some people might refer to the doctrines of the church as like rules or something, if the doctrines are the only thing taught. Because one extreme is to think that because God loves you, your relationship with him doesn't require the grace provided by the sacraments, provided by the church, or any sort of like definitions about right and wrong, holy and evil, moral and immoral. And it all just kind of ends up becoming very relative. And the other extreme is for someone to think that God is controlling and cold and even eager to make us suffer when we fail to follow his doctrines. And these people end up also distancing themselves from the church and her sacraments. So with all that being said, the kerygma just isn't something that we use when we're teaching or explaining the faith. This is also for our own personal reflection also. You know, it's not one of those once in a while, let me think about this, but really reflect and meditate on it often. And it won't always be all up in your face, but like look for the subtext, look at what's being implied, you know, start looking for the kerygma and everything related to the faith. Like when you're reading scripture during um, a homily, or even when you're preparing to receive the sacraments, you know, like reconciliation or communion, or you're asked to be a sponsor or a godparent or something, really look at all of these instances and find the kerygma in them. And why would you do this? Why, why would you want to? What's the point? Like I said, it's not a learn once and move on kind of thing. The kerygma defines love, and it also refines our understanding of and our participation in God's love. You know, a love that is not self-serving, it's not some mushy greeting card, it's sacrifice. A sacrifice that is better understood as a self-donation for the good of the other. So, like I said, look for the kerygma in all things regarding your faith and let the kerygma refine your understanding of and participation in God's love so that you can transform the world by transforming yourself. And if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast. You can find it where all good podcasts are found. Also, don't forget to tell your friends. Follow me on Instagram at ClumsyTheosis. Oh, yes. And for everyone who has contacted me regarding the Vatican II episode, thank you so much. I have loved all of your feedback, and I'm working my way through sending replies. So please, don't be shy. Hit me up. All right, everyone. Peace out. 
Thank you for tuning in this week to Clumsy Theosis. Each week, we explore a topic within the Catholic faith to aid listeners like yourself, as well as yours truly, in the advancement and deepening of the spiritual life and the personal ownership of our relationship with the big guy upstairs and his church. As cliche as it sounds, the world needs you. Become who you were created to be with Clumsy Theosis, the place to transform the world by transforming yourself.